I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power Platform Show. As always, full show notes can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 266. But before we chat with today's guest, here's a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by ISV Connected. Are you curious how your ISV business is doing compared to other ISVs? Comprehensive ISV industry benchmarking is just one of the things you'll discover at isvconnected.com. Navigating the Microsoft ISV landscape is easier with friends. Sign up today at isbconnected.com. And with that, let's get on with the show. Today's guest is from Bellevue, Washington. She is the global head of IBM Hyper Protect Accelerator. She has traveled to 54 countries. She is a founder and CEO of Mentor Nations, a youth-led digital literacy movement which aims to inspire underserved communities via access, skills, and utilization of technology. You can find her on Twitter at Mentor Africa. Welcome to the show, Melissa Sussi. Ah, oh, thank you so much. And it's Mentor Africa with a K for those of you who oh, are thinking about. Okay. Yeah, because I think so many people, you know, think about like, how do you spell everything? So mine mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. Mentor Africa with a K. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And wow, you've traveled to so many countries. I try, you know, I have so many, I have so many places I want to visit. And, you know, we're all in this weird world right now of how do we deal with whatever this is. And I have so many places I was supposed to visit this year, but I'm virtually visiting so many places like us all. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, well, so it was Donna Sakar that introduced me to you and said, I've got to get you on the show. So you're obviously doing amazing things around the world as well. It's not just travel for pleasure, I assume. Tell me about, you know, food, family and fun. What do you do when you're not doing your work things? Oh, gosh. You know, I have this story and it's a bit of my, I guess you could say it's how did you turn your worst nightmare, like the awful stuff that can happen in your life, and turn it into your superpower. You know, I've always loved to travel, but, you know, through some of my personal experiences, I've actually traveled more. And what I mean by that is about, and I don't know if you know this or not, about 10 years ago, actually 13 now, my children and I were victims of parental kidnapping. And I know that's like this hard thing, like, how do you say that, right? My children, they're safe, they're healthy, they're normal, Mm -hmm. adjusted human beings. And we're, you know, I know where they are, they're safe, they're healthy, blah, blah, blah. But one day, and this is about five years ago, when I was working at Microsoft, my daughter said to me, mommy, mommy, I'm learning Microsoft. That's her accent. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean you're learning Microsoft? And I realized that she was learning a word in her classroom. And I realized that she didn't have access 
to, you know, a device of her own, her own computer, mm-hmm, her mm-hmm. own laptop, her own, you know, tablet. She had access at home, but not in the classroom. And she was telling mm-hmm. me about what she was learning. And I realized that, you know, how can anyone be part of the future of work? How can anyone be part of like whatever's coming next if you don't have physical access to a computer? And I know that's not the only thing that a young person needs to thrive. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was, what is that thing, that one thing that I can do to empower my child? Mm -hmm. And it started out as something, you know, really based on how can I help my kid? And what it ended up becoming was, 400 laptops to 20 schools across her country, which is Tunisia. So for those of you who are not familiar with Tunisia, sandwiched in between Algeria and Libya, the spark Mm -hmm. of the Arab Spring, the spark of the Jasmine Revolution that really changed the nature Mm. of North Africa and the Middle East, not only from Tunisia, but across the region. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, what can I do again for this one school? And it becomes something bigger than me, something bigger than myself, something bigger than my job. And as I watched, you know, these laptops land in this country, I realized that, you know, having access to technology is so much bigger than a physical device. You know, just being able to type, file, open, search, www.whatever, it's about skills, It's about internet access. It's so many different things. And it set me out on this mission to figure out not just what I could do for her and my children, not just what I could do for the community, but I realized that 40, the numbers then were different, but now they're 48% of the world is not connected to the internet. And that connection to the internet is one piece of it, but digital skills and enabling people to make meaningful use of the internet is a much bigger aspect of what it means to be productive, what it means to be part of the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I take it your career for some time has been on this journey because I noticed in the the time you're at Microsoft, you're involved in the Microsoft Airband. Yeah, yeah. It was really a turning point in my career. I used to work in advertising at Microsoft and amazing role. I got to work with celebrities. I got to work on all of the, you know, all of the advertising campaigns that made it to TV all around the world, all of the, you know, empowering us all campaigns. So when you think about the Microsoft mission of empowering every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more, I was part Mm -hmm. of that. And I felt like I was on the outskirts I was I was in this role where my work was important. My work was needed, but I felt like I was on the outskirts of telling the stories of other people and recognizing what other people were doing to make the world a better place. And I felt disconnected. I felt like I knew I was doing a good thing because everyone has a place in this world to you know, in short, make the world a better place. And, you know, some of us need to focus on 
you know, finance or accounting or human resources or legal or whatever it is, because mm-hmm. all of us play a role in technology. All of us, all of us play a role in business. All of us play a role in social good. All of us play a role in every single sector that makes the world work. But I felt disconnected from the actual work. And I thought, what is it that I personally can do to make a difference? And, you know, this whole experience of my daughter telling me, hey, I don't have a device in my classroom and neither do my students or my Mm -hmm. classmates. I felt like this, you know, for lack of better words, kind of inspired me to think, what could I do? How could I change my life? How could I change my world? And I realized, you know, after, I guess, recognizing that, hey, I got some things going on in my life and things are not beautiful. Things are not Mm -hmm. rosy. Things are not great. What is it that I can do to take that not so rosy part of my life and put it into something bigger than me that doesn't just help my kids, that doesn't just help, you know, their community, but looks at the world in a different place. And it was really a pivotal career Mm -hmm. moment in my life where I joined this team that was all about impact investment, you know, bringing internet access and energy access to the world, and then empowering those individuals, the newly connected with the Mm -hmm. skills that they need to make meaningful use of the internet. It was like this I don't know how to put it into words, but it was like this force of nature that mm-hmm. made me realize that I have the ability to take my worst nightmare, turn it into my superpower, and do something bigger than Zahra or Zahran and Yumna. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So that's obviously taking you on a journey to where you are now. And what do you do now? And how has... How has this, you know, journey molded you? Yeah. So I'm currently at IBM, so another big mm-hmm. tech company, and I wear a couple of hats, probably more hats than a couple. I think for anyone who knows me, I wear a lot of hats. So mm-hmm. inside of my role in big tech, I focus on startups and I empower early stage entrepreneurs through mentorship and access to technology. That's one aspect of my role. And then the other aspect of my role is empowering young people. So think of that as either someone who has zero skills in tech. How do you think about demystifying computer science, demystifying data science, so that Mm -hmm. it becomes something that people who have never experienced any of that thinks, wow, that's a career for me. All the way through to a person who already knows, hey, tech is for me. This is my thing. This is my chance. This is where I'm going. Skill me up. Help me get a job. Help me make money and also help me make the world a better place. And I know that not everyone thinks about that concept of doing well while doing good, but I believe firmly that we can all pursue our passions, you know, whatever it is. Mm You know, there are lots of wicked goals that the world needs to achieve, but what are those wicked goals that make sense in our own community, in our family, in our lives? What resonates with us while getting a good job and making a good living so that we can feed our families and we Mm -hmm. don't have to struggle for that next meal, the rent, 
the bill that comes in front of us. And I know that's not easy in every single corner of the earth, but my goal is to empower people to think about, and not everybody's going to be an engineer, and that everybody mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. going to be a data scientist, and that everyone is going to be an entrepreneur. But what can I do to empower people with these skills that are necessary to prepare for the future of work? Mm-hmm. So how do you balance the use of technology or, or developing or, or giving people access to skills in the technology space? And at the flip side, the soft skills around business, you know, startup, which can involve everything from raising money to, to getting an idea to market. How do you balance that in the way you help individuals and organizations? You know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, it's impossible to impact every single person on the planet. As much as Mm -hmm. I'd like to have one-on-one engagements with everyone everywhere, we got a lot of people, we got a lot Mm -hmm. of needs, we got a lot of stuff going on. I have a few different engagement models. I do a lot of talks Mm -hmm. and I try to share whatever knowledge I have in an open source fashion so that it's not just, you know, putting something out there where you need to have a subscription to get access Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that there's more that I personally need to do and I could do. I do the best I can to get my knowledge out there. I engage in a lot of skill building activities that revolve around three different themes. One is tech skills. So, hey, what does it mean in the day of a life of an app dev? What does it mean Mm -hmm. in the day of the life of a systems admin? What does it mean to be in the day of the life of an entrepreneur or a dev or whatever? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. what are the other skills? Because I think a lot of tech companies focus on, all right, let's teach you to code. Let's teach you to be an engineer. Let's teach you to build Mm -hmm. apps. But in reality, what makes us successful is partly the tech stuff, because ultimately every company is a tech company. I've written one line of code in my life, and mm-hmm. that's Hello World. And mm-hmm. I wrote that line of code because someone mm-hmm. talked me through it. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm the best developer, I'm the best engineer, I'm the best data scientist. But mm-hmm. you know what? I can talk tech, I can talk business, and I can bring them together. And so what I try to do is empower young people by thinking about my team. So I have a wonderful team, and it's not just people who report to me directly. That doesn't matter. I don't care about, like, my kingdom, my castle. It's how do you bring people who know stuff together with people who need to know stuff? whatever that stuff is. And sometimes it's hardcore tech of, all right, how do I code in this specific language? Or how do I go into a job that enables me to feed my family? Or maybe I'm in a good family, financially Mm -hmm. speaking, and I just, you know, want to go into a good job. What are all the skills that we need? And, you know, every time I do a coding camp or a hackathon or a startup competition, I try to combine everything with three components. Mm -hmm. One is, let's get you skilled up from a technology perspective. In an hour, in two hours, in three hours, in five hours, you're not going to become an expert in anything. Mm -hmm. 
because it takes practice. But mm -hmm. how can we give you the introductory building blocks of tech? How can we give you the introductory building blocks of what it means to think like an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. And what are the introductory building blocks of what it means to think like a leader? And that may be design thinking. It may be personal mm -hmm. branding. It may be storytelling. It may be project management. There are a lot of things, you know, whether you talk to the World Economic Forum or you do just like a general search in LinkedIn to say, hey, what are the skills I need to have to be prepared? You recognize that it's a lot more than knowing how to code or yeah. knowing one particular skill from a technological perspective. Does that make sense? Mm. Mm, totally. I'd be interested in drilling into some of the examples of successes you've seen, but you mentioned the World Economic Forum and I saw a study that they released or data they released that had been turned into a study showing that there are a lot of nations around the world that would, let's say they're not considered part of the Western world, that have financially become elevated enough to allow them to be you know, educate well and also to travel. Oh, there's so much going on in the developing world, mm, you know, mm. so much going on. And I don't know what the right terms are to use for this country or that country, but I do a lot of work on the continent of Africa, for example. I do a lot of training in South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, Ethiopia. I recently did a wonderful, like, a wonderful event with Cape Verde. So Cabo Verde. Cape Verde has 500,000 people. And we recently did a national day of code. Mm. And what was super cool, so I'll pump myself up for a bit because it was like this really wonderful career moment for me personally, but I think also mm -hmm. empowering for the people of Cape Verde. Number one, we created this hackathon that's actually happening in a few weeks and is mm -hmm. all about looking at COVID-19 and what are the challenges that have happened in this small island state. And I say small mm -hmm. island, but it's really a series of islands. Right. 500,000 people off of the west coast of Africa, a Portuguese-speaking country. And one of the things that we did is, again, we created this National Day of Code. And we brought together a couple of famous musicians Mm -hmm. And we did a coding event with these famous new musicians. So Dino Santiago was one of them, mm -hmm. amazing musician. One mm -hmm. of the things he told me when I first spoke to him was computer science. Like, I'm a musician. I don't know anything yeah. about computer science. Like, this is mm -hmm. for, like, nerdy dudes in the basement, like, mm -hmm. with, mm -hmm. like, space sweatshirts and like cold pizza <laughs> and their underwear and stuff like that. Like I'm cool, you know, like I'm not doing computer science. And I said to him, Dino, let me ask you, what makes up music? What makes up dance? And he started to talk to me about music and dance. And he articulated it in a way where he spoke of, he spoke about the building blocks of music mm -hmm. and dance. And I said, let me tell you something. Do you know that computer science is made up of a very similar framework as music and dance? And so what do you mean? And I explained it to him in a different way, meaning like notes make up music and steps make up dance, right? And you mm -hmm, formulate mm -hmm. it and you orchestrate it and you calculate it so that everything happens in a, a synchronized fashion, right? 
He's like, yeah, of course. Like you have to synchronize it. You have to do this. You have to do that. You you get your outfits. You get your lighting. You get your music. Mm-hmm, you get mm-hmm. blah blah blah. So what if I told you that computer science is the same? And he's like, well, I thought it was like math and science. Yeah. And so what if I told you that computer science was like a language? And what if I told you that computer science was like putting letters and symbols and numbers in a specific orchestrated way? Mm-hmm. That enables you to make magic and music, and all of a sudden, what pops out is a mobile application, mm-hmm. or an e-commerce solution, or a website. He said, "Are you serious?" I said, "Yes." He mm-hmm. said, "I wish I would have known that computer science was like this, that mm-hmm. it was like an art, and not like a science, and not like..." something that felt hard for me to learn. And I said, you know, I think that one of the things that we are challenged with in this world is that we teach computer science like a science, like a mm-hmm. math, mm-hmm. like math, you know, not like an art form. And so he agreed to come onto the show with me and one other individual, which we can talk mm-hmm. about in a second. And we did this exercise where we played some music and we asked him to take and drag blocks to essentially make a robot move. And we gave the robot directions based on moving blocks from one point to another. And we leveraged a platform through code.org. And he was able to follow the directions and move the blocks where they needed to go, in turn, making the robot do its thing. And then Mm -hmm, once mm -hmm. we pressed the go button, after he moved all of the blocks into the right directions, The robot danced, the music played, and he could see the introductory building blocks of what it Mm -hmm. meant to learn computer science. Now, this is not the only precedent for, you know, connecting art to computer science. There are many examples. Mm -hmm. We plan to do this in Mozambique. We will be doing this in Ethiopia and I hope many, many, many other countries. But what was most exciting for me was seeing an artist who had never, ever, 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 ever been exposed Mm. to computer science, seeing it in a different light and therefore advocating to his audience why anyone can learn to code and why computer Mm -hmm. science matters and how it really is an art form. So how in these countries are you getting those two key ingredients, one, the internet, two, the hardware, the, the computer, etc., for these individuals to actually start creating with? I wish I had a good solution for gaining access to the internet for everyone on the planet. Right now, 48% of the mm-hmm. world is not connected to the internet. 48%. It's a crazy number. And it's not something that only impacts the continent of Africa. It is something that impacts the United States, New Zealand, Mm -hmm, Australia, mm -hmm. Europe. Every continent, every country, every region, every family has a challenge. And Mm -hmm. sometimes when you do have access, it's not affordable. There are many countries on the planet that have access. However, it's not affordable. Over the last two days, the FCC 
So the mm-hmm. Federal Communications Commission, which mm-hmm. is the regulatory body within the U.S. So the think of it as the ICT ministry in other countries, just put in place some regulatory action to enable people to gain access to the Internet in new and innovative ways. And that's utilizing unused TV channels. Now, not everyone can mm-hmm. do it. It's not like you can all of a sudden as a consumer say, hey, I want to access the spectrum. And so now I'm going to access yeah. it. It requires Mm -hmm. regulatory reform. It requires business models. It requires a lot of different things. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I believe that the world needs to adopt a methodology where communities are empowered with the skills to build their own networks. Mm. And that regulatory reform enables them to do that. Not every country allows that to be possible. So I think that's one thing that the world needs to consider. And it's a hard decision because imagine, Mm -hmm. you know, as a country, you know, you have very tight relationships with your mobile operators. You have very Mm -hmm. tight relationships with your ICT ministry. And sometimes a lot of money is at stake. In other cases, it's looking at it and saying, okay, how can we balance that with regulatory reform and enabling people to create their own networks. Now, I'm not gonna tell you that it's easy to create your own network. You need to have training, you need to have access to skills. And so it's not like all of a sudden you're in a village in Uganda and random dude says, hey, I'm gonna go create this. You Mm -hmm. know, you need to have Mm -hmm. access to skills. But I also think that a number of different things need to change when it comes to funding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look at the landmass of certain countries or certain locations. My mm-hmm. PhD research is focused on the digital inclusion of indigenous communities. And mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. many cases, indigenous communities sit on the fringes of urban communities, on the mm-hmm. far fringes. And so when you look at how do you connect those communities, it's complicated, it's costly. And There are no business models that enable a mobile operator or a telecommunications company to make a profit. So what Mm -hmm. role does government play when it comes to funding that? But I think access, affordable access is one piece of it. The other piece is give us skills so we can go out and make meaningful use of the technology in front of us. So we're not just Mm -hmm. being consumers of technology, meaning I'm posting things on social networks or I'm sharing things on social networks, but I'm creating, I'm making, I'm doing, I'm becoming an entrepreneur. And, you know, it's not just like all of a sudden having access enables that there are skills that go along with that. Mm, mm, mm. But how do people make that fundamental shift from being a consumer of technology and move into that space of being a creator, a maker, a doer? Yeah, I think that, well, first off, I think you have to identify a problem or a market opportunity. Maybe it's a problem you're trying to solve for you, for someone Mm -hmm. around you, for a loved one, you know, for someone in your community or a group of someone's. But I think it's combined with market opportunity. So you may have a bad bad, amazing, wonderful idea, but you need to have market opportunity. And I'm a big fan of social entrepreneurship, but I also Mm -hmm. recognize that we can't rely on 
grants, and charity. So how can we come up with ideas that solve problems, make the world a better place, and also generate an income? Meaning, how can you do well while doing good? And it's hard work. You know, I just participated in a UN hackathon last week mm-hmm. regarding media misinformation and disinformation. And we had people from all over the world, maybe 42 teams, countries. I can't remember the whole mix. I'm getting it wrong, I'm sure. But regardless of whatever the numbers are, you know, they're solving wicked problems. And one of the trainings that I did was, Well, I'll name a few. One was design thinking. How do you think like your audience? How do you empathize with your audience? How do you do well while doing good? So meaning what are some business models where you can actually gain a revenue, you know, versus just relying on grants and charity? And Mm -hmm. then how do you brand yourself, even personally, how do you be recognized as a, a thought leader, as an innovator, as a creator, And how do you combine some of these things together so that you can, you know, solve those wicked problems after you identify that, hey, there's a problem, hey, there's a market opportunity, and here's how I can take those two things, create a solution that, hey, I can stay afloat on and I can, because ultimately an entrepreneur is not going to want to create something and let it die on the vine. So Mm -hmm. how can you create something that's sustainable, strategic, and long-term? So tell me a bit more about your work with the United Nations and and enabling digital literacy. So I've been very, you know, I've been very passionate about digital inclusion for a very long time since the moment Mm -hmm. my daughter said to me, mommy, mommy, I'm learning Microsoft. And that very moment was not everyone has a defining moment in their life and You know, if you haven't gotten to that defining moment in your life, it'll come and there will be something that defines something. For me, that was a defining moment in my life. And I started Mm -hmm. to ask people, what does it mean to be digitally included? Because I realized that for me, my connection to my my kids was the internet. It Mm -hmm. was digital skills. It was access to the internet. It was access to a physical device. And so I started asking people, you know, what does it mean to be digitally included? And I realized that there was no framework for what it means to be digitally literate or digitally intelligent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So think about it from this perspective. We have a definition for what it means to be intelligent. Your IQ, right? You take a test. And it tells you, here's your IQ, right? There may be different tests. There may be different ways of going about it. But ultimately, if I tell you IQ, you kind of know what that means, right? And if I say EQ, for those of us who have, you know, looked at emotional intelligence or EQ, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, we know mm -hmm. that Daniel Goleman did a lot of work to identify, you know, how do you build relationships? How do you regulate yourself? How do you recognize behaviors Mm -hmm. in others? And there are ways that we can measure our EQ or emotional intelligence. But as I started this research, I realized there was no definition for DQ, digital intelligence. Mm. And so I proposed to the IEEE, so the largest engineering organization mm-hmm, on the planet mm-hmm. with more than 400,000 members worldwide, that we create this working group. 
let's establish a DQ. I don't know what DQ means, but let's establish it. Because I realized that the UN, the World Bank, no one had a, a solid definition. Sometimes countries, even the United States, which is where I live, has multiple definitions of what this means. And so I thought, what can I do? So I proposed this concept. And I said, I don't know what the framework's going to be. I don't know what the definition is going to be, but endorse this project where the outcome will be a framework. Let me conduct a literature review. Let me figure out what's out there. And then I will come back and our working group will propose something. Mm-hmm. We spent two years evaluating the frameworks, the definitions, the solutions, the methodologies, everything. And we realized there was no global fam- framework for what it means mm-hmm. to be digitally intelligent or have a DQ. And I didn't know whether one existed. And I thought, we'll evaluate it, see if one exists. If it doesn't, we'll create one. I identified one and realized this is the one. So over the last two months, I can't remember if it was last month or the one month before, we completed our literature review. We created our kind of activity through the standards board. So if you think about mm-hmm, what the mm-hmm. IEEE does, the IEEE reviews Wi-Fi standards, Correct. internet yep. protocols, yep. like these mm-hmm, crazy mm-hmm. things that make the world work, right? And so we proposed a standard for what it means to be digitally literate, and they accepted it. Wow. They endorsed it. Mm-hmm, and they did a mm-hmm. press release. And this happened several weeks ago. So we now mm-hmm. have a, what I would consider, and what the IEEE would consider as the first digital or the first standard for what it means to be digitally intelligent. We have more work to do. The Mm -hmm. UN, the World Bank, the OECD, and a variety of countries have not endorsed it yet. Mm -hmm. But this is my dream. This is my vision. And I aspire to be in a position where we take the work that has been endorsed by the IEEE Standards Board and mm-hmm, bring mm-hmm. it into the forefront of being a global standard. It's my PhD research, and it's also something that I feel could enable people to be prepared for the future of work. And what is very it. important about it is it's not just about learning to code or learning about AI or being an mm-hmm. engineer. It's emotional intelligence. It's media literacy. It is all the things that you and I and our children and the children who will come beyond us need to be safe online, be productive online, and not just be consumers of technology, but safe creators, makers, and doers empowered Mm -hmm. by technology. Wow. Incredible. I can tell you, you know, the excitement and I can see that, you know, a bunch of listeners are going to go out and do, you know, look into what you're you're doing. Is there any kind of resources that they can get access to now to learn more? Yeah. So the first thing that I would recommend would be checking out the DQ Institute. Mm-hmm. This is the framework that we endorsed. They've got a wealth of resources on their website. Now, what I will say is I think that this could be taken further in terms Mm -hmm. of activity kits, mobile applications, you know, learning resources. But I think the first step is the DQ Institute. 
I think there's another another thing, and you and I can talk about how best to share this with the world、mm-hmm. in terms of a link. But there is a wonderful resource that I am personally a fan of, and again, I'll share the link with you so that you've got it、Excellent. and you can publish、mm-hmm. it formally. There is a test that anyone can do as long as you have an internet connection, where you can go through.、Mm-hmm. It's not connected to. The DQ Institute or the IEEE, but it is personally something that I find valuable. It's a test of your digital skills. Again, the framework mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is different; it doesn't necessarily align to what the DQ Institute has created, which has been endorsed by the IEEE. But it's a pretty good、mm-hmm. tool, and what it does is that it asks you a series of questions. And then it creates a graph or a chart or a Gantt chart、mm-hmm. or whatever it is. It creates something pretty that enables you to see, hey, how am I doing? How am I doing when it comes to what it means to be digitally intelligent? And it puts it onto a graph. It gives you a percentage. It gives you some things to work on. It's all self-reported,、mm-hmm. so you got to be honest. And if you don't yeah, answer、yeah. the stuff honestly, you know it's going to skew your results.、Mm-hmm. So it's in your best interest to answer everything, you know, honestly and accurately. Because if you lie, it's going to make it、mm-hmm. seem like you do a better job than you do. But there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. We'll make sure we get that into the show notes. Yeah, I'll send that to you. So you've got it. It's a it's a good resource, and I've done it myself, and it made me realize, hey, wow, you need to learn some things. Mm, mm, mm. So one other area I'd like to just cover in closing, and you've you've worked some very large companies, and I take it you've had a lot of influence over individuals' careers. And so, just asking you some career advice here: what is what is the role that digital skills you know play when preparing for the future of work? You know, not the past, particularly in the COVID world that we live in now. What are you seeing? You know, I think that it doesn't matter what your job is, whether、mm-hmm. you're An engineer, whether you're an attorney, whether you're、mm-hmm. a janitor, whether you are selling handicrafts in a tribal community in New Mexico or New Zealand or Australia or wherever you may be located, everyone needs to have some level of digital skills. Now, I'm not saying that everyone needs to be a coder.、Mm-hmm. Everyone needs to code. You know, you gotta have some chops because ultimately, especially in this COVID world where we have more than one billion young people, more than one billion,、mm-hmm. according、wow. to UNESCO reports,、mm-hmm. outside of the school system due to COVID nineteen school closures, everybody's、mm-hmm. finding out their way. You know, people who work in small companies are now figuring out. Oh, holy smokes! I'm not visiting with my clients now. I'm not visiting、yeah. with my colleagues. What do I need to do? And so I think that everyone needs to have some element of digital skills. And I've been talking about this for a very, very, very long time. You know,、mm-hmm. I created a startup accelerator, a virtual startup accelerator, before COVID was even heard of, and before COVID was even a thing. And so I'm very thankful that I was able to quickly adapt, respond, and get ready because I was already mm-hmm, doing mm-hmm. it. You know, before it was a thing, and I think ultimately we all need to have this basic level of stuff. No matter who we are, what we are, no matter whether you are going to community college, 
or whether you Mm -hmm. dropped out of college. Even if you're a farmer, think about how do you get your yields? How do you sow Mm -hmm. your crops? How do you incorporate really interesting innovations that don't require you to have a, you know, formal education? I'm a, Mm -hmm. even though I have formal education, I am a a big, big fan of informal education. Use it, incorporate it, no matter who you are or what you are. And it's not just about, you know, when someone says, hey, do you have tech skills? It's not just Mm -hmm. about like, hey, can I build something? It's how can I do the necessary things? Because I think what a lot of people also fail to recognize is that media literacy, media Mm -hmm. misinformation, media disinformation is part of being digitally skilled. And how many of us have seen our friends, our moms, Mm -hmm. our dads, our uncles, our aunts, our grandmas, our grandpas, random people from way back when share things we know are not true. Yeah, so true. You know, and it's not just about how do you create a business and gain a revenue. It's also like, how do you manage your life and how do you make good decisions? And how do you look at the information that's being spit at you and recognize, is it real? Is it fake? Do I share it? What do I do about it? Do I believe it? Do I not Mm -hmm, believe it? mm And how do I react upon it? Our very government institutions, our Mm -hmm. leadership depends upon it. Yeah, yeah. So true. So true. What recommendations do you have around people growing their careers, whatever they currently in? How do they really grow them? How do they, you know, stand out from the crowd when they apply for new jobs? I know a lot of people have lost work over over the period in COVID. How do they how do they stand out and get picked, you know, for new roles? You know, I think I am a big fan of volunteerism. I am a Mm -hmm. big fan of, again, doing well while doing good. And for me, that means, and I know we all have different, you know, home, you know, requirements. And I know Mm -hmm. we have Mm -hmm. different work-life balances. And, you know, sometimes when you're in a role, you're in a job, you can't do more. Mm -hmm. And that's just like the end of your rope. But I'm a big fan of trying to figure out how can you go above and beyond within your capacity while still managing your work-life balance, still looking after your family, still doing the things that you need to do to stay afloat personally, Mm -hmm. professionally, mentally, emotionally. But I'm a big fan of kind of trying to figure out how do I go above and beyond? But I think in addition to that, it's digital skills It's also, you know, the things that are necessary for the future of work, because we know that not every job is going to be applicable in the future. And we've also watched a lot of jobs go away or reduce in prevalence, importance, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important that people think about you know, what are those skills that are necessary for the future of work? So the World Economic Forum put out a future of jobs report last Mm -hmm. year. I think this is a very interesting thing to look about, look at, because a lot Mm -hmm. of the things that they included are things that are not like hardcore skills, Mm -hmm. meaning 
you need to learn this specific coding language or you need to have this specific profession. They talked about problem solving, creativity, innovation, critical thinking. And so I think as people think about what's next, don't forget that one of the biggest elements of getting that next job and really beefing up your CV is mm -hmm. how can you prove that you know how to pro solve problems? How can you prove that you know how to think critically? You know how to speak publicly? I'm a big fan of having a personal brand. You know, figuring out what do you want to be known for and going mm -hmm. after that thing that you want to be known for so that when someone else talks about you, they're using your narrative mm -hmm. and not their own. But when they see you, they see you as how you want to be seen, not however they crafted it, but what you mm -hmm. crafted mm -hmm. because like of your it. personal brand. It's hard work. It doesn't yep. happen overnight, but it's so possible. And trust me, I've done it. I changed my career. I did something so different, you know, before than mm -hmm. when I came into startup ecosystem and student engagement. My job was so different. I worked in procurement. My job was negotiating contracts. That's all I did all day, every day. Yeah. Wow. This is so good. And you've given so much advice. Before I let you go, let's wrap up with, tell us a bit about Tech for Good. Oh, wow. So Tech for Good. I think that everyone has a passion and everyone's passion may be something different, you know, like what is it that wakes you up in the morning and says, I'm awake, I'm going to do my thing. You know, for me, it's digital inclusion, it's social entrepreneurship, it's empowering women and girls, it's inspiring young people. Those are my things. That's mm -hmm, what wakes mm -hmm. me up in the morning. Yours may be climate change. Yours may be you know, keeping oceans free and clear from debris. Everyone has their thing. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of looking at the UN Sustainable Development Goals and figuring out what is that thing that you look at? One of those 17 goals that mm -hmm. make you feel like this is why I'm alive. And how can you incorporate that into your life and your job? And what enabled me to transition my career from one in procurement to one in social good is volunteerism, identifying what of those 17 goals spoke to me and what opportunities did I have in the startup ecosystem and in the nonprofit world where I could volunteer. Not everybody has that luxury. Maybe you got yeah. one hour, maybe you have 20, but what can you do to volunteer your time, either for your own cause or someone else's to help make things feel better, you know? And I know that not everybody cares about that because some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by title. You know, naturally we all want to make more money. We all want a big, awesome title, but what makes you wake up in the morning and do your thing? Mm. Wow. Melissa, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. I think you've definitely created a lot of food for thought for the listeners, and we'll make sure we get the links in the show notes as we said. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. 
I feel honored that I can just be a, a part of this. I feel honored to, you know, share my perspective. I hope it's, you know, helpful for others. And I hope that it can empower others to think about what is that thing that they should do and how can they go out and forget about the what should I do and do it, whatever that thing may be. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Business Applications MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as NZ365Guy. If there's a guest you'd like to see on the show, please message me on LinkedIn and let me know who they are and why they should come on the show. Please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to leave a review or read the current reviews, go to nz365guy.com forward slash review. Otherwise, stay safe out there. See you next time.